Hello, you're listening to Do Yourself a Favour, the podcast about learning from experience and the things we do to make our lives easier. My name's Tim Sisney from Make Work Work Better, and each episode I'll be talking to my guests about their epiphanies, their inspirations, and the magic of their workflow. And I'm very happy to be joined today by Dan White. Hello, Dan. Hi. Hi, Tim. Thanks for inviting me. Not at all. Um, So welcome to Do Yourself a Favour. Would you like to introduce yourself to our listeners? Sure. I'm Dan White. Um, I'm uh, originally a market research uh, analyst and inventor, uh, as in I helped you know, develop new market research solutions. And then I spent eight years as a CMO, and in the last two years I've spent uh, collecting my thoughts and notes from what I learned over the previous 28 years, and I've been doing a lot of uh, consultancy and writing and drawing and all sorts of fun stuff. Excellent. And so you had a book come out two years ago uh actually it was only about a year ago yeah was it really okay yeah it was last september actually so less than a year yeah that was the first book first book that was um that was uh about marketing it was called the smart marketing book that was kind of everything i'd learned over the last you know about the specialism that i was in okay um and your i think it's fair to say that your style is very visual you've you've very yes i mean that yeah. For me, I'm a very visual person. Images have always come first. Um, I mean, the backstory is literally, I have a pile, I've still got a few left, but I had a pile of all my notebooks. They're like, you know, the kind of thing, an, an A5 notebook, just a classic pad that I'd filled with things I'd learned. Um, and I tend to use uh, you know, scribbles, diagrams, um, frameworks, if I can think of them, or, or if they've been given to me, to try and remember the stuff I've learned. Um, and so that was my... Um, resource that's my back my, my material i used to try and uh, create these two books of fact so i kind of did them in parallel to be honest that's why they've come out quite quick succession because they're like one project there's you know the idea it's like you know to, in a career to succeed you, you need your technical skills in my case ended up being marketing um but you also need your soft skills which is my second book you know the soft skills book so they're kind of they kind of go together as in if you can combine the two in, a, in your in your career you know you're going to succeed you're likely to succeed. That's that's the thinking, anyway. Okay, thanks, Dan. So we'll dive straight into it. Could you tell me about something you wish you'd known sooner? That's actually very easy. Very, very easy, because I remember the moment it happened, and I remember thinking back and thinking at the time, I really wish I'd learned this skill about 10 or even 15 years earlier, possibly more. It was... Um, uh, I think, as you know, um, I worked for Kantar for, for many years, and, and one of the good things about Kantar was that there used to be healthy training budgets. So actually there was a, a fantastic training course, whole week, a whole, a whole week's training course for seniorish people, you know. Uh, it's actually run by a company called Exeter. Uh, they're still going strong now. I think they're a fantastic company. I thought I'd give them a name drop. Um, but, and it was, um, it was all actually about how to be a better, well, partly a better leader, but in particular, how to be a better client manager. You know, how to really help clients and actually genuinely try to understand their business issues and, and the behaviors you need to be able to do that. And I just remember, and I must have been in my mid thirties, early thirties, something like that. And it was a very interactive. And we did these exercises about listening skills, active listening. And I thought, 
I'd never really heard of the concept or vaguely heard of the concept before. Um, but then having practiced it and, and seen what it felt like, and this I need to make a big note of, a big scribble, if you like. Um, and I think it, it kind of transformed my career, to be honest. Just the, 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 the value you get and the person you're talking to, the value they get from listening properly is just gold dust. Absolutely gold dust. I wish I'd known that. Oh. Yeah, and so what? What do you think? What do you think you missed before? I missed a lot. I mean, I talk too much. It's just a fact. And I think if someone, if you're someone who likes to pontificate and show off a bit and and then tell people stuff, like I have a tendency to, you miss out on everything. You don't. Well, hey, it's boring because you know about you. <laughs> <laughs> what you think so you're not learning anything if you don't listen to other people and if you are good at, ask, at active listening you realize that everyone is interesting everyone is often more humorous or, or, or more uh, they always have a story to tell or an opinion and that's usually shaped by something uh, and, and by listening you, you you understand so much you understand like for example what really cares they, the person cares about and for example, if you're any kind of role where you need to, like if you're managing someone or if you're trying to sell something to someone, just understanding properly what they care about is the, is the, is the, you know, it's the starting point for how to actually help them or respond to them or, or offer them something that's valuable. So as much, as much as anything, it's understanding what they need and care about. But, but um, you know, not just that, but also the act of listening means you're almost certainly going to build a relationship with them. You know, because you're showing you're interested, you're letting them talk. People do like to talk about what they care about. Um, and, you know, it's, it's a skill that's not just valuable in work, uh, in the kind of work context, but also at home with, you know, relationships with, um, with partners and, and, and children. Um, just listen. And, you, yeah, anyway, you can, t you can tell I'm a bit of an evangelist. In fact, in, in my book, the second book, the soft skills book, um, the one chapter I, I referred back to more than any other by far was an early chapter about listening skills. So again, it reinforced this idea that it's, it's, a, it's a fundamental uh, mm -hmm. that you use in so many different ways. Yeah. I did a version of the training I think you're referring to. Mm. Um, and I remember very clearly getting home after what were, what were three quite full on days. It was, right. a, it was a fairly sort of draining uh mm. few few days quite quite a lot of lot of stuff to take in and so on i remember getting home being quite tired and then at the end of the weekend sort of going into monday morning my my wife just saying to me there's something different what's different <laughs> and i said i don't i, I don't know then a couple of days later she said i think i've worked it out she said i think you're actually listening to me <laughs> <laughs> well you know it's true i mean we do often you know that phrase it's like um often a conversation you're just waiting until the other one stops so you can you can start talking again i mean that's mm -hmm. some conversations are like that but you get a much much more reward um if you actually listen it's actually fun as well also there, there are other benefits as well if you actively listen really listen and probe and ask questions you don't actually even need to take notes. You always remember the important things. It just goes in. It's it's because it's become uh, important to you and the person you were talking to. So, yeah, it's uh, anyway. That's 
Yeah, I would. I mean, I that's a, a, the advice I gave if I'm ever coaching or, or whatever to, mm-hmm. to young uh, people just entering the, the workforce early in, in their careers is yeah, just start on that. Start on your listening skills. See if they're any good and try to improve them and go from there. And I suppose the important thing to remember about it is that it, it is a skill. It is something you can learn. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There's a yeah. technique. There's a there's a framework. I mean. It, I mean, I was trying to think um, how to describe this in the simplest possible terms. And I think it's something about, fundamentally, it's just ask questions rather than tell people what you, th- what you think. That's kind of it. But actually, there is a process. And if you follow the process, I mean, I mean the key thing is paying, act, paying attention and making sure you're paying attention to someone. Look them in the eye. And, and, uh, but um, and most importantly is don't talk very much do much more asking than saying, you know, mm-hmm. that is actually the secret. But also there are skills, aren't there? You know, the probe questions, the questions that that, that allow people to open up and say what they think. Um, they're basically just open questions, really. No, there's no rocket, there's no, it's not super advanced, really. But then there's the magic of the pause, and I never realised how important this is. And the pause is important, especially when you're talking with someone who is a little bit reserved, you know? Mm-hmm. The pause is crucial. Don't fill the silence. Leave the pause. I know we're doing it now because it's inevitable. <laughs> we both have to pause. Yeah, it, it's great. It's great podcasting. <laughs> yeah. No, but yeah, the pause is like you, you ask a question and you just wait and wait, and it feels like far too long, and the temptation is to fill it. But if you don't, suddenly you'll get a kind of wow. <laughs> you're there. You go. Mm-hmm. Tell me more. And it all comes flooding out because usually people just need and want an opportunity to say what's really on their mind. And then that pause can, can, can help them. And then after that, it's more things like once you've heard what you've, you've listened, play it back, you know, play it back to them. And, and, and if, if, if you get it right, great. If you get it wrong, they can clarify. So, so, and they know you've listened. And you also know that you know each other, you understood it completely because they've corrected you if there's something you can come in. At the very end, if you're trying to be a helpful listener, you might come, you might make a suggestion or two, but often you don't need to because the person's it's helped the person think it through themselves. That's something that I think is really interesting about what you're doing with with this most recent book because mm. a lot of the sort of soft skills um, idea, mm. so things like listening or um, paying your your um, understanding or having empathy or caring or being able to um, give feedback or being able to be, um, you know, being organized or all of those things. Mm. A lot of the time they're things that people kind of feel are innate. You know, it's Mm. just, you know, that's, that's part of my personality and it's not, and the idea that you could learn all of those things and that they're actually often quite simple frameworks that enable you, that give predictable results. Yeah. Yeah, prove, proven kind of processes, if you like, that you can just learn. And, you know, it's one of these things, you know, actually, there is, like I said, just, just described, you know, the process, five Ps. Mm-hmm. Or but, um, you know, when you first start using it, you feel a bit odd, you know, because you're, you're kind of looking down and going, oh, what do I do next? Oh, I pause. You know, it feels a bit phony. But actually, after a while, it becomes second nature because you've done it many times and you like doing it. You want to do it because it, you know it, it's helpful. And, and mm-hmm relationship and then you learn more and it's, it's great so a lot of these things start off as a little bit you know you after the learning after that bit of the learning curve then you're you're on a roll um 
No, actually, I mean, the other framework I think is the most important, the two that I always talk about as being my favourites, one is obviously listening, but the other one is almost, is almost the natural follow-on from listening, which is the, the coaching framework. You know, uh, the, it's called the GROW framework. I'm sure you've come across that one. Um, where effectively you're using your listening skills to help someone solve their own problem because you're their coach. Or you just matter. Anyone can use it. You, the beautiful thing about it is you don't need to be an expert in the whatever they're doing at all. In fact, you don't need to know anything about it. You can coach. Um, I've coached my, my children in in, in uh, areas of their you know they've done PhDs and things I know nothing about. But you can help them figure out what they need. And the, the, the way I just very quickly the way it works is I mean it's so simple it's, it's genius. It's um, you ask the person what their goal is. G goal. What's your goal? Describe your goal. What, what is it you need to achieve? That's usually quite straightforward. Then the R is just the reality. Well, okay, what's the current reality? Um, and that, ha- that helps crystallize for the person the gap, the difference between mm-hmm. where, where they are. That just helps frame the problem really, doesn't it? And then the O is um, options. So, okay, you've told me what you want to achieve. You've told me where you are now. What options have you got to try and get there? And that's that's pure listening then it's like okay tell me more why is that um could you get around that uh what do you think of that solution uh what other solutions can you think of what is that it's just asking questions um and then the the easy one at the end the, the beautiful thing is after you've gone through that process you ask the w which is simply well what will you do it's meant to help mm-hmm. them decide their course of action um then you want to go well it's obvious isn't it <laughs> And you go, yes, because of what you told me, but you didn't know it was obvious until you went through that very simple mm-hmm. process. I think that is absolute genius. The best ever business as any kind of, you know, manager or leader or, or, or mentor or, or even just helpful colleague. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. And I think also when you become a manager, particularly, um, mm-hmm. especially because a lot of the time people are people become managers because they're good at something else. Yeah, yeah. And so there's a there's a kind of process through which you have to kind of find your feet and there's a real temptation to tell people what you know, particularly if they ask. Yeah. You know, so someone comes to you and says, um, what should I do about this thing? Then you kind of, well, I, you know, I, I have an opinion and it's, it's, a, and it's natural to, to, to want to share it, especially yeah. when somebody asks. What I similar to what you you, you took the talk about the, with the grow framework. My favorite favorite question to ask my reports when I had them was, "I'm not sure. What do you think?" Um, which I, I did something similar, which is, hmm, I have a vague idea, but what do you think? Very similar, mm. but obviously I'm a bit more um, <laughs> eccentric than you. Yours is a better question. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I, I think you're right. That that idea of well, you're helping them, getting them to think. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's helpful to them. It'll actually help them be. Yeah, it'll help them learn, and it'll mm-hmm. help them faster. Always. Yeah. And, and over time, I found that with that, someone they'll come to me with a question, and then they would almost say, "But you're going to ask me what I think, so I think this." And then you go, "You're right." <laughs> yes. And, yeah. and then, and then after a little while, they stop coming to you with the question, and they just come to you telling you what they've just what updated they with what they've do. done. Yeah, give you the opportunity to build it, build on it. If that's if, mm-hmm. if I know, yeah, that's 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 a beautiful thing. When that Let's so so the next question. We, we, this started as a as a book, 
when we I first started the podcast talk asking people about books, but it's kind yeah. of broadened out to become books or concepts or, or, or similar. But what was something that was a real that was a real turning point for you, like a book or a concept that you that changed the way that you looked at things and understood things? Yeah, okay. I have got. Am I allowed a one book and one concept quickly? Of course. Yeah, of course. Um, well, the concept is it's um, it's basically a growth mindset. You know, the idea of what a growth mindset is and how valuable it is. That's quite important. I mean, I've always been an actually curious kind of person. But I hadn't sort of realized that having a, a mindset that, that, that assumes that you can learn anything if you set your mind to it, how valuable that would be in my career, you know, um, just because it turns out to be true. And I, I also, it's not just for you to get on, it also helps you be a much better manager because if you mm-hmm. believe that the people who are working with you, you believe in their potential. Yeah. I mean, I think, so, yeah, some people have more potential, more potential to do certain things than other certain things, of course. But everyone has potential and everyone has potential to be really, really good at probably more than one thing, probably lots and lots of different things. And I think that concept is is both helpful for yourself and for you as a as a manager. So that was that's it. That concept, brilliant um, and essential. And again, if you want to be a good leader and a good manager, that's it's useful to have that in mind. But the book, the book, oh, it's got to be this one. Um, it's the, uh, David McCandless. Yeah. Uh, if, information is beautiful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's um, apparently Edward Tuft did something similar beforehand, but that kind of passed me by. This is the one that I noticed. Um, mm-hmm. and, oh, look, sorry, but I'm just, yeah, look at that. Got it's, it signed, nice. It's signed, which is just a wonderful thing. Um, yeah, just that, the, the idea that, uh, of understanding the value of making ideas simple and beautiful. Mm-hmm. It's just a big idea for me. That simple and beautiful, so that it it, pro- it becomes famous, so that pe- people understand it, so that people can use it, so that people can learn from it, and they can help teach other people with it. Hence, you, know, you mentioned earlier, uh, I'm, I'm very into visuals. This is that actually inspired me to dust off all the all the scribbles um, when I had an opportunity to, to do so, and turn them into something that I can share. So. Both in the books and also on the website. I've got a website and that's free because I just like, I kind of like the idea of people going, oh, that's a nice way of thinking about it. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, so that I would say is is a big a big inspiration. Yeah. I was I was fortunate enough to do some training with David McCandless. Um, oh, I'm probably, yeah, about about nine or ten years ago. Yeah. And what I was struck by most during his his presentation, and he was taking us through the the thinking behind some of his more famous mm. visualizations mm. and it struck me that he he appears to be driven by a kind of righteous rage <laughs> at um at the way that media and politics and politicians and um the world at large mispresents information or use inform- information in a way which is very very difficult to contextualize Right. Yes. So the billion dollar gram, um, which was his like first really famous um, uh, visualization, came from this idea of him watching the news and realizing that people are using numbers like twenty three billion dollars. Yeah. And in some news stories, twenty three billion dollars seems like a lot, and in some news stories, twenty three billion dollars doesn't seem like a lot. And so he was 
trying to find a way to put into context for people what what does what does twenty three billion dollars actually mean in the context of the world? Yeah. Okay. So um, Okay. That's right. Yeah, and and then he started. There's there's another one he did that was around um, uh, bad news stories and how you would have peaks and troughs in um, particular sort of scare stories in the media um, at different times of year, and or and it would usually tie to particular parts of the news cycle um and it was uh, but he would spot really really interesting patterns once he visualized the data so such as even 10 or 15 years after the columbine school shootings there would still be a spate of um news reports about violent video games yeah around about around about the anniversary of that so that had a cultural effect on the way that the news was reported for many many years afterwards and so a lot of it was driven by this kind of sense of wanting to really make information accessible and clear to people so they could make their own decisions about the world around them yes because it's been presented in a way that they can understand i mean i I must be a nightmare actually i think maybe think of something last night we were watching one of the um, there's a, the new uh, cricket series in the UK, mm-hmm. uh, the, the sort of UK equivalent of the IPL, I guess, or some similar to that kind of thing. Um, it's called the hundred. So the hundred, yeah. It's called the hundred, yeah. It's a hundred balls rather than one hundred twenty, whatever, which is twenty twenty. But it's only getting shorter. One day we're going to have like a game of cricket with ten balls or something, or eleven balls, one one per person. I don't know. Doesn't matter. No, I sound like an old funny good. I'm not. I actually really enjoyed it. It's a, it's a great thing. But I, I was I was sitting there when me and my wife were watching. And I was going, oh, but oh, that's just so annoying. It's like at one point you're using the two colours to represent the two teams, and then you're using the same two colours to represent the number of balls and the versus the number of runs for the same team. How confusing is that? And I keep, you know, because I mean, it looks it looks cool, but it's very, in my opinion, it's really quite bad visualization because they're making amateur errors and you see a lot of amateur errors all over the place um as in things that are just detracting from the point you know so many visualizations that just there are distractions or things that are confusing or things that are just wrong and no one spotted it because they don't really understand it they only get just get a vague sense of what they're looking at which i find a bit frustrating because if you don't really understand it how can you really use it properly like you said mm-hmm. yeah you can't if you don't understand the, the underlying story behind the data and how the data yeah. works then visualizing it clearly is very difficult yeah, yeah exactly i mean that's kind of why i'm i've quite enjoyed doing i've done some work with walk with the world advertising research center um doing some animations uh, etc with with them and it's quite fun because it's like um because I'm, I'm you know i'm well i'm a marketer fundamentally yeah so I understand marketing, my first book was about marketing, and it's kind of like I can work with people to understand the concept and visualise it. But sometimes they're quite sophisticated concepts, so I kind of feel a bit privileged to be able to do the bridging, you see what I mean? Mm-hmm. I've become a, you know, I'm, I'm more interested in actually finding the best marketing ideas rather than necessarily coming up with them and then helping that. Like, uh, the, um, I won't bore your audience with too much marketing stuff, but there's something called the Hankins Hexagon, which is a genius idea for looking at path, you know, the path to sales and stuff like that. Um, but it just needed to be brought alive in the way it was shown. So that's kind of where okay. I... Anyway. There's, it, I'm, I very much understand and appreciate the idea that once you start 
digging into a certain kind of discipline, seeing mm. bad examples of it in real life, um, can become incredibly frustrating. Excessive, yeah. Yeah, so um, after I did my, after I started to become involved in process improvement and I did my lean qualifications and I started to think about that, queuing mm. anywhere would be just, I, I would just, it became, you know, queuing is bad enough as it is, but when you're dissecting the queuing process and just getting across at things that they could be doing to make it better, trying to make a, a cup of coffee in an office kitchen, hmm. um, I would just be there going, well, if we moved that to there, then this whole thing would be easier. Um, just rearranging things in people's houses. Well, so just my things else. Have you seen the, the film about the history of McDonald's? I'm trying to remember what it's called. The founder, is it? Michael the founder, Keaton? yes. Yes. Yeah, with the guy who was Batman once, right? That's right. That yeah, Michael Keaton. Yes. Yeah, that's, yeah I think that's the way my. He was Be- He was Beetlejuice as well. Oh, he was. Oh, he's good. Yeah, and he was in that weird film that was like all in one take as well. Um, yeah, Birdman. But, yeah. yeah. So you said we go for tangents. You just cut all that bit out. Um, yeah. The point is that film has a wonderful bit at the beginning. If you haven't uh, near the near the beginning. Where he was figuring out on a on a base, he used a baseball um, tarmac, you know, area, and a, a kind of spray can, and said, "Well, yeah, but hang on, if we do this," and they literally did arrows and lines to make the kitchen totally efficient. It's very, yeah, you'd love you'd love that. You should have. You should uh, that. I'll put it on the wish list. I'm sure it's on YouTube. Just that bit. Just look at that bit. Well, actually, it's quite a good, quite a good film, by the way. It's not bad. So where are we? So. We're, yeah. we're, we're, we're moving into the, the, the recommendations and workflow and, and nerdery stuff now, um, which, um, okay. is, yeah. cool. which is one of my, uh, which, which I always find extremely insightful about people. So um, can you tell us about a tool which is not your, is not your phone or your laptop, but could be, could be software on your phone or laptop, but you're not allowed to just say your phone or your laptop, um, okay. but a tool that you use every day and would not be without? Uh, well, I can, I can cheat, obviously, because you just ruled out phone and laptops. I can, I can go for the old watch. Okay, go on, go, go on. And it's a bit... <laughs> well, I, yes, it is a cheat, because in fact it's an extension of your phone. We know that, and it, it does some of the things, a subset of the things, really, let's be honest. But it's there. Look, the thing is, this is really important, right, because, um, you know, I was there in 1970-something or other, seven, I suppose, eight? No, it must it must have been a bit later because after Star Wars came out, right? Therefore, after seven, you probably know better than me, 77. So, and it was those digital watches where you, you press the button and then the red lights, I think what they called L, LED lights came mm-hmm. up to tell you the time. And I thought this was just, this was sci-fi beyond my wildest dreams. Even if the battery went after about three months, I thought, you know, and then later I got a calculator watch. I mean, it blew my mind. It had little buttons on it, right? And I could, and not only could I do sums here, but no, no one else could do. But I could also play a game, you know, where the numbers would, you're way, way, way too, too young to remember this game, but it scrolled, they could build across the screen. And you had to quickly tap the right one in time to make them disappear. It's basically a kind of Tetris type thing before it fills up. Okay. Anyway, and I thought, and then on Star Trek, I really, I go off a tangent now, but uh, the point is, I never thought my wildest dreams that you'd have something this sophisticated on your wrist. On your, on your wrist. So I had to buy it on day one. Um, I don't buy it, you know, I'm a bit of a tech 
I'm interested in tech, but this one blew my mind. And I do use this a lot, so that's one. But I've got loads of other things to show you. Um, there's this one. There go. Couldn't, couldn't, couldn't that's, that. that's a two. Uh, yeah, so, so for those of you who are not actually looking at Dad right now, which is all oh. of you. Um... <laughs> you know what? I should have. My first question at the beginning should have been: Is this a video podcast? Or <laughs> I will describe the thing I'm holding. It's got bristles at the end, and it looks exactly like a normal toothbrush because it because that's what it is. So that's. That was kind of my joke answer, if you like, Tim. But the, the, the serious answer, probably the serious answer, is um, basically pencils. So the two okay. things I'm throwing just to Tim <laughs> are uh, a traditional kind of propelling type pencil thing from Pentel, 0 0.7, 0 0.5 snaps, um, and an Apple pencil, which has been my saviour over the last sort of 18 months um, when I've been doing more and more and more drawing and illustrating and things like that. So. Pencils, yes, because uh, I I can't, every day I need to capture what I'm thinking or doing, and that's the way I've always done it, you know, scribbling. Mm -hmm. So therefore that becomes, it's very low tech, but it is um, a pretty, certainly the, the, the graphite version anyway, but it's essential for me. So in your illustration workflow, just talk us through that, do you work on paper first and then transfer just, it digitally? Yeah. Well, until recently I did, I literally used a uh, pencil and rubber and paper and rubbed it out until it looked right and hoped the rubbings out weren't too strong. Otherwise it would take me even longer. In, then scanned it in via, you know, printer scanner, then used Photoshop to tidy them up, you know, and make them, you know, look a little bit better and mm -hmm. add in the color, you know, so it's cell shaded effectively. Uh, outlining black, and that. but um, that was taking me absolutely ages. So any you know, each individual thing would take forever. But my daughter uh, persuaded; she's a, a designer. Um, she mm -hmm. persuaded me uh, to use uh, an iPad and an Apple pencil. And once I got used to it, it's oh, it's a godsend. It's just brilliant. It's so much faster. Get it wrong, you just press undo. You know, it's, it's obviously. I should have thought that before, really. But yeah, so. That's my world, or at least a chunk of it. How, how does the Apple Watch fit into your workflow? What's the, what do you make? Is it, is it notifications or do you have any particular particular So, I mean, one of the most important things is um, each morning, that's a stupid little thing, but each morning I look at all the meetings I've got and I set an alarm for five minutes before. Yeah, simple mm -hmm. as that. Just so I cannot miss meetings because I, I used to kind of just be so absorbed in something that I'd lose track of time. You know what it's like, especially during lockdown and you're in, the, you're in one place a lot. So I, I use that a lot. I use Quick Buzz, which tells me when a wicket has fallen in the cricket, which is obviously quite important mm -hmm. today, a, a wicket or, or a six or whatever, things like that. Uh, I use in the kitchen, you know, for, for counting down the um, the time on the different, well, because you can have multiple alarms, you can time different things rather than, okay. the, you know, for, for, for different um, elements of the thing you're preparing, because I, I tend to cook most, most days. Oh, what else do I use it for? Um, I've even been the, the nerd who uses it to answer their phone occasionally. Um, but that is a bit embarrassing, so I tend to avoid that. Especially because I'm kind of an old person, so I think, oh, I probably have to hold it close to my mouth. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I use it for a surprisingly large number of things. I didn't think I would, but uh, but I actually do. I, I took the, the one thing that has changed with, with the way that I use my my, my wearable tech during lockdown is that I use I now use it to track um, track the amount of water I'm drinking. So it's again you track what? Track the amount of water I'm drinking, my hydration. Uh, yeah. Because I was finding I was getting um, I was getting 
I used to get migraines really badly, haven't got them for a while, and then during lockdown started to get them quite a lot. And yeah. I think it was a, con- a combination of screen time and okay. because I wasn't moving about th- around an office, you know, and go, you know, walking past the, the tap and getting a drink, drink of water, uh, I wasn't just wasn't drinking as much water. So having like a reminder to say, don't forget to drink some water and being able to track actually have I had enough water um, across the course of a day has just been a, um, it's just a good reminder and it has actually really helped with, with just not, not getting the headaches. Related to that actually, and I don't even know how it works on whether it works that way, you probably know better than me, but the Breathe app, yeah. But I don't know if it, does it detect your heart rate or something? And, and if it's, the heart rate's going high, it goes, you probably need to breathe now. But I do find it quite regularly says, take a breath. I'm just curious. It, um, yeah, I think it does. Tra- it does track your heart rate. Uh, there's a fantastic story actually, which is yeah. is kind of cricket related. Of um, Jonathan Agnew when he was commentating on the final two overs of the Cricket World Cup. Oh yeah. Um, and apparently his watch was just telling him that he needed to breathe, like with every ball, because his heart rate was kind of. <laughs> yeah, well, he was excited. I remember it quite well. Yeah. He had he had to take his watch off apparently because it was distracting him by just telling him that he needed to sit down and breathe. Uh, well, I, I find that quite helpful because I get quite stressed and therefore something that just reminds me, oh, it may be just a moment now to just, you know, take a moment out. I find that extremely helpful. Yeah. So what's what's your latest shiny thing? What was the last thing you bought or acquired which you're like, oh, that's really clever and I, I, uh, or I find that really useful? Well, that's the kind of nerdy question I like. Um, I actually have a list of all the shiny <laughs> of course I've ever bought. Well, not ever, including... An outdoor pool table. I literally woke up one day because I've always wanted to play pool, but I've never really had a house. I've never had a house big enough, you know, to accommodate mm-hmm. the queues and all that stuff. And I suddenly thought, I wonder if there's such thing as an outdoor pool table. And of course, there is. You you, you know, you go on Google and you find that someone in Britain makes one. So that was a, a, a that's my one of my favourite purchases ever. It's basically just a pool table where they've done special stuff to really protect the the wood. So it's you know it's very protected, okay. and, um, and the base is uh, waterproof, so the water just rolls off it like a duck's back sort of thing. Genius. Anyway, no, but I have um, okay. Uh, my favourite things. Um, one is uh, there is a uh, a tool, a multi-tool, right? Mm-hmm. It's a good example of form and function because it's one of these things that can unscrew and undo almost anything but it looks like a beautiful christmas decoration like a snowflake like a snowflake yeah i see so what's that got it it's got like little sort of allen key type things and it's got keys it's got uh, different types of screw screwdriver it's got um i'm not sure what that one is Uh, that's a bottle opener obviously because everything has a bottle opener in it etc you know, it's got a, like a mini chisel even. In, in, okay. That bit. So I just thought that was a, a beautiful thing. Uh, but by the way, it's too heavy to, to hang on a Christmas tree. But... I was going to ask. Yeah. yeah it's... I was just, just imagining this really, really hardcore Christmas tree just covered in yeah, you need a crowbars. Go with it. Um, what other things? I I like, uh, well, it's, it's, um, it's a mundane clock that I've had for, I've had this for nearly 30 years. Uh, it wasn't cheap at the time. I, I thought it was, I think, some sort of reward for some sort of achievement, like a promotion. Mm-hmm. I don't remember exactly what it was. Um, and it, I just love the design. It's uh, kind of, you know, it's like a Swiss, what's the style? Mm-hmm. Railway style? Yeah. 
It's the, so the it's the Swiss railway clock that I think the the icon for the Apple clock app. Yeah, I think it probably is. is. On. Yeah. Just like just like they stole the sort of the brawn calculator. Yeah, that kind of thing. Mm. Anyway, um, and and the, the hands um have and the and the hour marks have got a tiny amount of tritium in them, which means you can see them in the dark. Um, without having to do anything for, for decades. It is actually starting to fade now. They did promise 25 years or something, and, and it was about right. So I might need a new one, but anyway. So that is a lovely thing. And the third item I bought for you, this is like Room 101. This is crazy. <laughs> um, it's just a very simple practical thing. I'm, I'm, like I'm really into cooking. Um, it's called the Any Sharp Knife Sharpener. Okay. Uh, and it's it's just a perfect piece of design. Um, and it, it suctions on your, your table, so it's safe when you're moving your knife across it really well. Mm -hmm. And it just works. It just works really well. And it's only about seven quid or something. So there you go. I bought you several gadgety things that I love. And that's and that's a that's a nice mixture of of extremely practical, utilitarian and um completely bonkers. And, and, and yeah. Mm -hmm. And and outside uh outside pool tables. It's not something that I'd really thought about before, but obviously they exist. Yeah, but you've got to think outside the outside the dining room. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Outside the billiard room. Outside the billiard Yeah, well, no, if you had a billiard room, you wouldn't need to think outside it, would you? But just saying. Oh, that's no, true. Yeah, no, that's a very good point. I've always thought if I well, if I ever really, really make it kind of thing, I will have a house big enough for a full-size snooker table. But that, that requires an enormous room when you think yeah. about it. So it's it's it may never happen. I've got over the fact it may never happen. I'm fine with it. I'm happy to go outdoors. Yeah, you could. I mean, you could get a like a normal house hmm. if you knocked through on all the walls. You could probably make it work. Yeah, but yeah, I don't know. I have a partner. I have a wife. Yeah. So you've got to factor that in to the consideration of whether that would be um, a sensible thing to do. Let's say. Okay. I I remember you've made me think about we used to have a like a small uh, pool table type thing that would fit on the dining room at um, my uh, at my grandma and granddad's house and obviously because of it was an old it was an old pub this house um, and the so it was a bit higgledy piggledy and some of the corners were a bit short and so on so my grandpa made like tidy cues for if you're in the corner and you put it put your elbow up, yeah. Um, and to this day, um, you can really tell when we watch my brother play pool that he has like a certain thing in his action which comes from having learnt to play pool in like a really really tidy space. Um, it's uh, I, I think it's really fascinating when you you can see in um, in like professional sports people or um, or actually in, in in any kind of field I guess. The ticks that people develop that have as a, come as a result result of the constraints where they've learnt. Mm. Um, I think it's is it, it might be bounced by Matthew Syed where he talks about a uh, a table tennis player mm. who was um, known for having this really odd game because he played really close up to the table as opposed to a lot of yeah. people who stand back. And that's just because the garage he used to practice it wasn't yeah. very big. And right. didn't have space. I didn't do it. I know. Yeah. Well, garages are often used for this kind of thing, so you have to be quite inventive. Yeah. Mm. Nice. 
Excellent, Dan. So we're, we're, we're on the home straight now. We're, we're clattering towards the end. And uh, I would like you to complete the sentence, do yourself a favour and... Yeah, I guess this is, a, you know, get a bit serious now, actually. But I thought, yeah, my gut feeling is this is how I wanted to answer this one, which is do yourself a favour and forgive yourself. Yeah, makes sense. Forgive yourself. It does. I was thinking it could be be sympathetic to yourself. That would be a very similar alternative, I think. Mm-hmm. I think it's like someone said to me this once and it struck me so powerfully and it's been helpful, uh, which was that some people, and I'm one of them, will often say things to them about themselves or to themselves kind of in their head or even out loud, actually, but, you know, mm-hmm. to themselves, things that are really quite not very nice, you know, really nasty, things you wouldn't dream of saying to anyone else because it would be too unfair or rude or mm-hmm. inconsiderate or unsympathetic. But for some reason, we kind of, that, we sometimes do that to ourselves or some people do. Mm-hmm. I can, I can speak from people I've talked to myself. And it's like, and I, that's really quite, I find that quite damaging because it's like, well, you have to live with yourself. And if you're going to be saying things like that to yourself, I mean, if it was your flatmate, you'd, you'd leave the flat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you can't leave your own uh, head. So anyway, I thought, and I, I had to put that in enough, um, to the book early on. I wasn't sure whether, I'm not an expert in this area, but I thought I wanted to put something in about, about mindfulness. Well, not about mindfulness, because I think that's a very good way of tackling it, but more just generally the importance of looking after your mental health and being aware mm-hmm. of need for it so i did put a chapter in the book and it's really nice because the people i've sent it to for pre-read have, have been uh, said that they they appreciated that you know felt, uh, it came across nicely which i'm really very you know, I'm, I'm more proud about that than, than the rest of the book in a way because uh, you know, i'm a big believer that things like this should be discussed a little bit more and i'm really happy that that seems to be happening more and more in, in society that people talk about this challenge um and take it seriously and 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 uh, the stigma is, is is going away. So, yeah, I'm very... So that's what I would say. And I suppose we, this, we come full circle a little bit because if you're thinking about the... Think about mindful, like think about something like mindfulness, for example, as a way of quietening your brain and um, enabling you to, I guess, recognise and put to one side those negative thoughts that, that you can have. Yeah. It's also a really, really helpful tool for listening. Because if you can remain in the moment while you're having a conversation with someone and not get distracted by what I'm having for tea tonight or something they've said reminding you of something you saw on telly, then <laughs> it's then it's a really helpful. It, it's th- those two skills I think are quite closely linked. Yeah, I think they are. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that before, but I'm, I'm sure you're right. In fact, I'm, I've got a, I did my um, I like to come up with my frameworks with a nice acronym or two, you know. Mm-hmm. And I must admit, my, my, I'm very proud of my acronym for helping uh, think about mindfulness. Just because the acronym is Oasis, you know, and nice. it's yeah. like, oh, Oasis calming moment or place, or, you know, kind of up the idea of your, your safe place and all those kind of concepts. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it works quite well. So, I was, I'm, you know, that's one of my favourites in the book, actually. Okay, I have interest just about the, did you... How much of when you came up with it did you go, oh, can I make this spell Oasis? Or did you suddenly go, oh, that could spell Oasis? Yeah, so there's there's one letter in one acronym that is forced. But generally, my rule of thumb is it has to work well. The words have to mean exactly what they're supposed to mean. But I will play around and keep thinking about and get the, th- the source out and 
and, and just hope something emerges. And obviously, if, if one emerges that looks promising, you try and make it work, you know? Mm-hmm. But this one, I, I, it, well, it, it just, sometimes they fall out, and this one fell out almost perfect. Well, I think really, really well. I'm really happy with it. Nice. So where can people find you, Dan? I think the best place to find me is my website. Um, it's quite an easy one. It's www.smartmarketing.me. It's a bit odd. It's got no .com or anything like that. Or mm. Okay, so it's just smartmarketing.me. Uh, and but I'm I'm very happy for people if they want to get in touch directly through LinkedIn. And obviously on the website there's a contact page, and you, you know click through for, for my LinkedIn handle is is linked from there. Um, but I'm down on LinkedIn as Dan White, author of the Smart Marketing book. I may change that to author of the Soft Skills book, depending on how sales are going of the, of the books, but we'll see. Um, yeah, so and I'm, I'm happy to, uh, to I, I really, I enjoy getting to know new people and networking and it's, it's relevant to me. So if people do want to get in touch, I'd love it. So. And the book's available now-ish? Now-ish, yes, uh, available. It, it, will have, it's, it will have launched on the 29th of July. So it's available now. And uh, yes, I mean, the best place to get that is if you're in most countries, Amazon is absolutely fine. Uh, the US Amazon is, is later, but all the other countries for some reason are, are already available ahead of US. Or bookdepository.com, which is very good for more you know countries that don't have, where Amazon doesn't have a good you know, postal service kind of thing, you know, or local presence. Those are the best too. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Dan. Very welcome. Thanks for having me. Not at all. It's been a lot of fun. Um, And we'll speak to you all again soon. Great. Thanks. You've been listening to Do Yourself a Favour, the podcast about learning from experience and the things we do to make our lives easier. Brought to you by Make Work Work Better. My name's Tim Sisney from Make Work Work Better. Our theme tune is by The Titanics. Talk to you again soon.